So if you uh, picked up an outline, you'll notice that we've uh, moved on now from the, the Israelites as uh, a nation that was designed to be uh, a nation of grace and given a good law that would have made them imitators of God and uh, in his mercy and his kindness and his uh, in his generosity. Uh, we're now in uh, little letter D on your outline there, considering how they failed. Uh, and the by the time the failure is complete, uh, it's a failure not only uh, of Israel as a church, uh, but of Israel as uh, not just any sort of state, but specifically as a kingdom. We're kind of combining uh, back into the Davidic administration of the covenant of grace uh, a little bit backwards. We'll consider what uh, the forever king was uh, supposed to be like. Uh, we're going we're gonna to think about the northern kingdom uh, from the divided kingdom uh, first, very briefly, considering Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, so sometimes it's called Samaria, and that's related to the word Samaritan. Uh, uh, and then uh, sometimes they're called Ephraim, uh, with reference to the biggest of the tribes in the northern kingdom. Uh, and sometimes they're just called Israel, uh, as uh, when compared Israel and Judah. Uh, and uh, they're really a, a you know, perverted twist. You know, once the, the kingdom is split in the days of Rehoboam, and the Lord basically promises Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he could be another David, uh, not with the same uh, promise that the Christ would come through him, uh, but that the northern kingdom would have a relationship with God in the line of the son of Nebat, uh, that uh, that mirrored the relationship uh, that the southern kingdom Judah had with God in the line of uh, David, the son of Jesse. Uh, however, as you have been studying through uh, first and especially now Second Kings, you've discovered that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat's uh, legacy, was instead uh, to be the anti-David, uh, and he was the one who sinned. Uh, in a way that caused Israel to sin, and they never escaped uh, the religion that uh, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, actually had borrowed from Aaron, Moses' brother. Uh, and we won't go back uh, and look at all that. So uh, it's really a, a fork off of the main tree, the, the northern kingdom, but they are an example uh, of how bad things can be so that when you get to next week's reading in Second Kings and you have Ahaz uh, in the south, uh, what, we're, what we're doing there is we're seeing that even from the line of David, you can have someone who is as bad uh, as any of the northern kings. And that's, uh, that's going to be, uh, from Ahaz onward, there's going to be a back and forth between uh, godly king and good king uh, until... Uh, the exile uh, of the southern kingdom and of Judah. Uh, anyway, some of this will make more sense uh, once we get the northern kingdom out of the way and we start to consider how it wasn't just the church uh, who were uh, Israel as a church that was supposed to be an example 
uh, to the nations of the goodness of their God and the goodness of their law uh, and the goodness of his law. Uh, but the king, very specifically, uh, and even more specifically, the kings from the line of David uh, were to uh, image God as king. And of course, they failed to do so. And that was anticipating Christ. Uh, Christ who uh, would come as a king. Christ who would describe uh, his church as his kingdom uh, and so forth. So, uh, Northern Kingdom uh, just selected uh, two texts. They're actually uh, texts that have to do, uh, or from books that have to do mostly uh, with the southern kingdom of Judah, but do make reference uh, to what has happened uh, in the northern kingdom. Uh, so Isaiah chapter 10, Woe to those who decree unrighteous decrees, uh, who write misfortune which they have prescribed to rob the needy of justice and to take what is right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. What will you do in the day of punishment and in the desolation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave for glory? Without me they shall bow down among the prisoners and they shall fall among the slain. For all his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Uh, and so this disregard, as we have read uh, about the Lord's particular regard, uh, for the poor and for the fatherless and for the widow. Uh, this disregard uh, is part of what has provoked the Lord. And then uh, Amos uh, 4, verse 1, which, I don't know, in my um, youthful immaturity was one of those verses that uh, stuck out in my mind uh, as uh, a little bit delicious uh, one of the things that was true for much of the divided kingdom period uh, was that just because of trade routes uh, and then various alliances at different time with Tyrant Sidon, uh, who as far as shipping trade goes, were always very wealthy. And then Syria, uh, who as far as land trade goes, were always very wealthy. The northern kingdom uh, was ordinarily much more wealthy than the southern kingdom. Uh, that's why in today's, uh, today's reading, as you uh, pay attention, children, to the reading from Second Kings in the morning worship, uh, try and uh, see if you can listen for how much silver uh, the king was able to raise to send to Assyria and how he raised it. Uh, I won't tell you how many talents... Uh, I do remember now, I said it incorrectly in family worship this week, uh, but um, uh, the number of talents that he got was, uh, was raised by a certain amount, and pay attention to what that is too, uh, of tax upon the rich. This idea that the government can quickly raise money uh, by taxing just the rich uh, heavily uh, it's not a new idea. It didn't you know, show up in America in the 20th century, the 21st century. Uh, but the northern kingdom was very wealthy. Uh, now listen to what the wealthy women who lived in luxury of the northern kingdom are called. 
uh, in Amos chapter 4. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. Uh, and so the, uh, the picture, of course, is of those uh, who are uh, very wealthy, don't care uh, whom they harm in their wealth, don't have any regard uh, for God and his order. They're bossing their husbands around, uh, and they are, of course, uh, self-indulgent. Uh, but that's in, as you may remember in the book of Amos, uh, how he um, uh, how he's uh, condemning the the northern kingdom in that section. Okay. So let's come now to the southern kingdom, and we're actually going to uh, start uh, by considering what the Davidic king and the Davidic kingdom was supposed to be like. Look at uh, 2 Chronicles 9 and verse 8. We'll have the queen of Sheba having the response uh, to observing Solomon that you're hoping for uh, if you remember Psalm 72. So we'll We'll just uh, we'll just take verse eight. Uh, we usually want to spend more time, but uh, we're trying to finish a little Roman numeral one uh, today. Uh, she says, "Blessed be Yahweh your God, who delighted in you, setting you on His throne to be king for Yahweh your God, because your God has loved Israel." to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Uh, now, uh, her response is something that we're actually hoping to, to see. And I think even though we, we have Psalm 72 lower on the outline, uh, it help us to turn there. Now, Psalm 72, in, in many of your Bibles, you may have the superscript translated a Psalm of Solomon. But the Psalm itself uh, tells us who wrote it at the end. Uh, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, uh, are ended. Uh, and, the, and the Psalm, the preposition uh, attached to Solomon uh, in the superscript, it can mean for just as easily as it can mean of. Uh, so what is most likely with Psalm 72 is that David, having received the promise from God in 2 Samuel 7, you remember when David wanted to, uh, to build a house for the Lord uh, and Nathan said, whatever is in your heart, uh, do it. Uh, and then God came to Nathan and uh, said, you know, not so fast. Uh, you know, go back to David and tell him that he will not build a house. Uh, his son will build a house. Uh, and uh, the answer is basically, uh, you're not going to build a house for me, David. I'm going to build a house for you. And he promises him his descendant who would be the forever king. Uh, uh, and who is king forever and ever, children? Who is the great king forever and ever? Who is the son of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God by 
uh, with power by the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection of, from the dead. So we really narrowed it down now. Just in case you were thinking of any other kings, the only one who's risen from the dead so far, Declan, Jesus is the forever king. Uh, and so Jesus is the one who's promised in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, and yet David, knowing about that promise, writes this psalm for his son. Uh, and it's a psalm about the descendant who would be the forever king, but also the one who should be a model for all of the sons of David. Uh, it's, uh, uh, you know, put yourself in Solomon's shoes, or sandals, or maybe shoes, who knows, he was rich. Uh, you know, put yourself in Solomon's shoes, and you know, David was your dad, and the Lord has promised your dad that from him, and now from you, through you, would come the forever king. And then your dad, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote a song uh, for you about the greatness of a king and what a king is supposed to be like. Um, maybe we should have started with Psalm 72 and then we could have heard the Queen of Sheba as, uh, uh, as an echo of that. Uh, but give the king your judgments, O God, your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. Uh, they will fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing, like showers that water the earth. Uh, we've sung this uh, plenty. Uh, he's identified as the promised seed of Genesis um, uh, 3, uh, 15, uh, uh, in verse 9. Uh, the, he's the king whom the nations are uh, to, uh, to recognize, and we have Sheba mentioned uh, very specifically in verse 10 in, uh, in connection with uh, what we just read in Second Chronicles 9. Uh, but still again, uh, verse 12, he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and the needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood uh, in his sight. And so what we see is that in the thinking about the kingdom, and especially the kingdom as it comes from David, there's something very similar to what we saw when the Lord was establishing Israel as a church and a nation, uh, that what happens with those who are poor and needy, those who would ordinarily be taken advantage of, those who would ordinarily have no help uh, in other nations, the law that was given uh, to Israel at, when it was being constituted as a nation at Sinai uh, was designed uh, so that all the other nations could look at Israel and say, there is no nation like this that has a God so near it, uh, that has laws so good. It is better to be uh, a widow, orphan, stranger, slave in Israel uh, than it would be to be nobility uh, anywhere else. Uh, and so, uh, so there was that at the beginning in the establishing or constituting of the church at Sinai. 
Well, now when we're thinking about the, uh, the kingdom period and David having received this promise about his son who would be the forever king and is, is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit a psalm uh, that, that describes the kingship of Jesus, you have the same thing, don't you? That one of the ways in which the glory of God, the grace of God, the goodness of God is going to de- be displayed through the king is especially through his leading his people in righteousness. And part of that righteousness is a special regard for the poor and for the needy. Now, one of the things that God has done in his church for the last 2,000 years uh, to, uh, to help us have a special regard of, for the poor and the needy is he has built his church largely out of the poor and the needy. This is one of the things uh, that you see very quickly uh, in, uh, uh, in the Jerusalem church. There are those uh, who have lands and so forth, but there are many who are needy. Uh, and we'll, we'll get back to Acts again, but you can remember, uh, I hope it's not been too many months uh, since we were uh, earlier in, in the book of Acts. Uh, but this reality was one that when they started fighting, remember Pastor McGraw's sermon from 1 Corinthians 2 this past week, right? Uh, and he was giving them the glory of the triune God as the one who gives himself to us and is the only one who could come up with such a plan, the only one who could accomplish such a plan, and the only one who could teach us about uh, such a plan, Right? The, the Father purposing it, the Son accomplishing it, the Spirit applying to us by, um, by uh, teaching it to us. Why was he doing that? Because the Corinthians, instead of being amazed at the glory of God and desiring that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, would be magnified in his church, whom did they want people to think well of? Themselves, right? This is each of our problems. You know, whether it's uh, you know, children who are trying to outdo one another to show off or, uh, or weird youth uh, social dynamics, uh, with, you know, triangulation of friendships, uh, or even uh, you know, families trying to look uh, at least 93% better when they get to church than uh, they were two minutes before they left for church from home. Uh, all of this desiring that we would be the ones who, who appear glorious. Uh, it's a mistake that comes from not seeing that it's all about the glory of the triune God who is redeeming us. Uh, and so the apostle is able to point out to the Corinthians, you know, God intentionally didn't pick the great ones of the world to make his church out of. He chose the lowly. He chose the despised. Uh, and this does two things. One, it reminds us again of what we will be like when we imitate him, that we will have a special love for the unloved, a special regard for the, un, for the disregarded, that the orphan and the widow, you know, better to be an orphan, a widow, a stranger, you know, a, uh, you know, an Isaiah 56 eunuch who uh, in the time of the suffering servant, who is the Lord Jesus, the eunuchs who keep the Sabbath, you know, they have greater family than, you know, the people who have, you know, the biggest, best families. And they have a name that's better than sons and daughters. Uh, and so, uh, so he fills the church with poor so that we have 
to love one another. Uh, and then he also reminds us that, that we are to image him. Uh, so this was true, not just of, uh, of Israel in its beginning uh, at Sinai, but also uh, of the kingdom and especially uh, of the king. Uh, you know, probably... Let me just read for you again, having uh, Psalm 72 now in the back of your mind. Second Chronicles 9, verse 8. Blessed be Yahweh your God, who delighted in you, setting you on his throne to be king for Yahweh your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Now, that's kind of a one-off. Yeah, outside of Solomon, outside of uh, really uh, Josiah, as far as uh, doing justice and righteousness for the people uh, with a particular care for the poor, uh, the way that Psalm 72 describes the anointed ones, uh, uh, the descendant of David's care for the poor, uh, there isn't a whole lot of that happening during the during the kingdom period of the Old Testament. And one of the reasons is, is I hope you have gotten the, the, the idea by now where we are. It's still going to be pounded into us for a little bit longer. Um, you know, one of the reasons why the Lord is so patient with, uh, uh, with Israel is because we are so dull that, that we need, you know, we do better with 51 examples than we do with three examples. Uh, there aren't 51 kings in the two kingdoms that was... Uh, a number out of thin air. Um, but one of the things that I hope that you've seen where we are, uh, you know, almost to the point where the northern kingdom is about to be exiled in Second Kings, is that we need Jesus to be the king. There is no mere man who can be the sort of king uh, that we need. Uh, so, having mentioned Josiah... Uh, Josiah is as good as it gets uh, until Jesus, as far as kings go. Uh, Jeremiah 22. Now he's uh, he's writing to uh, Shalom. Or he's speaking to Shalom, the son of Josiah. And he says, Shall you reign because you enclose yourself in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy. Then it was all well. Then it was well with him. Then it was well. Was not this knowing me, says Yahweh. Yet your eyes and your heart are for nothing but covetousness, for shedding innocent blood and practicing oppression. Uh, and violence. Uh, and I just noticed that I did not put uh, the reference down. Uh, it was of Josiah uh, that the Lord said, never before or after Josiah was there a king like him uh, who sought after the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and strength. That should be towards the end of Second Kings 23. Um, okay, so uh, just 
He doesn't mention the care of the poor in 2 Kings. That's why we took the, uh, the Jeremiah passage. All right, yeah, 2 Kings 23, verse 25. I guess it's right in the middle there. Now before him there was no king like him who turned to Yahweh with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. Uh, so uh, one of the things that we're doing is we see Israel judged now not just as a nation and a church, but also as a kingdom, is that God's purposes for them in the display of his goodness and the display of his holiness, which was supposed to be reflected in what kind of people they were. And then when he gave them kings, it was supposed to be reflected in the characters of the kings that he gave them. Uh, they, had, uh, they had never done so. Uh, in, in fact, all of Israel's uh, officers ultimately failed. Uh, we see the prophet, priest, and king. The prophets, priests, and kings of Israel uh, come under this condemnation. Uh, Ezekiel 22. We'll begin in verse 23. The word of Yahweh came to me saying, Son of man, say to her, You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. So even the chastening, the wrath uh, that the Lord pours out on his people doesn't ultimately cleanse them. Uh, the conspiracy of her prophets, okay, so prophets, in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured the people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in their midst. Okay, so injustice, oppression, uh, uh, using people in order to advance themselves and their property. Well, so much for the prophets. How about the priests? Verse 26. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made, un nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Now, this is something that we're going to, to see as we go along. Again, the connection between the mercy of God and the Sabbath. This is one of the reasons why the loss of seeing the Lord's day as a gift from God to us, in which he gives himself to us, and he gives us a day of delighting in him, uh, a day of, uh, of turning away, uh, not only from our work, but from our lesser pleasures, uh, also a day in which turning away from our work and our lesser pleasures frees uh, those who are uh, what we would call, or maybe we don't use that phrase anymore, uh, service class. You know, those whose jobs, uh, you know, for instance, uh, you know, especially on this day, there are a bunch of people who work in food prep who because of the, the desecration of this day, even by many who profess to be Christians, are slaving harder today than they do almost any other day of the year. Uh, because today is you know the, the great high day uh, of uh, American religion. Uh, and I don't mean Christianity. Uh, 
Yeah. Hopefully you guys don't even know. I didn't know who was in the Super Bowl until uh, I was at Kroger this week and I saw Chiefs and Eagles Mylar balloons. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Okay. <laughs> but, but think about the people who live paycheck to paycheck, who have the lower paying jobs. They're in the service industry. Uh, and the, the keeping of the, the failure uh, of the land to keep the Sabbath is harder on them. And this is built into the way the Lord gives us the fourth commandment, isn't it? You know, neither your manservant nor your maidservant. Even, even the beast of someone who keeps the Lord's day uh, is better off than the beast of someone who doesn't. Um, okay, so the prophets have failed, the priests have failed. What about the princes? Uh, or, you know, this is uh, the, the nobility in the civil state or in the civil sphere. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, when Yahweh had not spoken. Okay, so uh, this is closely related, the idea of the, the plastering. Uh, those who say peace, peace, where there is no peace. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, also uses the image uh, of whitewashed tombs. You know, preachers of wicked people, uh, if they do not fear the Lord, they want to stand up and speak what they call grace, but it's not grace. It's not grace that gives spirit. It's not giving anybody spiritual life. It's not calling them to repentance. It's not instructing them in walking in obedience. Grace unites to Christ. Grace brings the power and goodness of the triune God to bear in a person's life so that they become more like their Redeemer. Yes, grace forgives, but grace doesn't take sin lightly and it doesn't, uh, and it doesn't uh, make it more okay uh, to continue sinning. Uh, well, that kind of preaching... Uh, is not new uh, in the New Testament. Uh, verse 29, what was the result of, uh, of this false preaching? The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and the needy. They wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me in behalf of the land that I should not destroy it but I found no one. Now keep that in mind when we get to Isaiah 58, which probably we're not getting to today. Um, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me in behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, uh, says the Lord Yahweh. So failure to honor and delight in the Lord, to enjoy his worship as a gift from him, was connected with, you know, viewing, viewing his law as oppressive, was connected with being oppressive towards others. Uh, in fact, let's go ahead and, and skip down, and we'll take Isaiah 58 again next week, because it's really in the section of the difference that Jesus will make when he comes as king. That's what you're doing in the last third of the book of Isaiah. Uh, now, 
many of you children will be ahead of, of many Bible scholars by just knowing that the entire book of Isaiah was written by Isaiah the prophet. Uh, but the difference between what Israel is like in the first two-thirds of the book and God's condemnation of that and what Jesus as the one who is what Israel always ought to have been, the servant who suffers for the sins of the people but is righteous and brings in an age of righteousness and God's mercy through Jesus, the difference between the first two-thirds of Isaiah and the last third of Isaiah is so big that anybody who doesn't uh, trust that the Bible is what it says it is says there's no way that, that, these, uh, that these two parts can be from the same guy in the same book. But that's the point, isn't it? That Christ is so unlike us. He is what we needed to be. And not only is he that in our place, not only does he take on himself what we deserved, but then he begins to make us to be like himself. And that's what we want to see coming out in, um, uh, in the church. So thinking about what you just heard in Ezekiel 22, we're kind of out of time. We'll just read it and we'll make a few comments. Okay, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Uh, this is Isaiah 58. Tell my people their transgression, the house of Jacob their sins. Now, these are people who think that they are holy. They seek me daily. They delight to know, in my, know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice and take delight in approaching God. Okay, So they think they're really good and religious. But listen to the way they talk about the religion that God has commanded. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice okay so their idea is god is really god really enjoys our misery and if we feel miserable enough uh we should he should really pay us back uh for uh for satisfying him by how miserable we were he says in fact in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to, to Yahweh? So, uh, so they had a view of God that, that God wants us to feel miserable. Uh, and some people treat the Lord's Day this way, right? Both those who, who don't, uh, uh, don't believe that we should continue keeping the fourth commandment or keep for the first time the fourth commandment uh, under Jesus. And they say, oh, that would be so miserable if we had to keep the fourth commandment now. Jesus kept it for me. Jesus is my fourth commandment. Yeah, we'll do, we'll, we'll do that. Jesus is my fourth commandment. Missing, you know, the Hebrews 3 and 4 is explaining why a Sabbath-keeping remains, a sabbath uh remains. But it's also done by people who are proud of themselves for the way they keep the fourth commandment. We are the ones who keep the Sabbath holy. Look at how we don't do anything fun on the Sabbath. We only 
worship God and read meaty theological books. We're not like all those horrible people over there. God should be so pleased with us for how much better we are than everyone else. Is that very different then? Do you see how we have afflicted and bowed down our souls for your sake? Now, Sabbath-keeping is calling it a delight. Thank you, Lord, for the greatness and the goodness of the gift of this day. You are so generous. No one is generous like you. And the way they viewed God in Isaiah 58 ended up being reflected in the way they were with others. So they viewed God as oppressive in order to get what he wants, and they turn around and they oppress others in order to get what they want. And oh, by the way, God tells them, you're trying to oppress me. You're trying to use Sabbath keeping as if it's this, the, this talisman that you can use to make your voice heard in heaven, to twist God's arm behind his back, to strike him with a wicked fist and beat out of him the stuff that you want, just like you do to the poor. Uh, I'm not going to get to do any more uh, explaining, um, but uh, listen for the rest of the chapter. Uh, listen to their wrong relationship with those who are underneath them, the remedy in the right relationship with God, and again, this language of standing in the gap. Jesus is the one who stands in the gap. Jesus is the one who restores delighting in the Lord. Jesus is the one who has mercy on the poor and the needy and those who know themselves to be those upon whom Jesus has had this mercy uh, by his spirit conforming them to him, they uh, reflect his character to others. So hear that in the rest of the chapter. Is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of Yahweh shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and Yahweh will answer. You shall cry and you cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. Yahweh will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you, you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of Yahweh honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in Yahweh. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of Yahweh has spoken.
No time for anything else. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us your son to be our righteousness, that he has obeyed in our place, that he has loved the poor and the needy. For, oh Lord, we are those who are poor and needy, uh, much more so in spirit uh, than in any other way. Uh, and we thank you that you have not only uh, given him to be the one who has obeyed with the obedience that is counted for us, but that you have punished our sin, our disregard for you, our considering you to be oppressive, our being uh, oppressive and using others, uh, that all of this you have punished on him uh, for our sakes on the cross. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would now help us who have your name upon us and who have his name upon us, uh, that we would bring you glory by being like you. Uh, by being humble, loving one another, being gentle, desiring to serve rather than use one another, delighting in you, finding you delightful and generous, and wanting to be uh, generous unto your praise. And so we pray, Lord, that as we continue to study, uh, particularly in this section, the failure of uh, the Old Testament church uh, and kingdom, uh, to be what it ought to have been for your praise and for your glory, that you would grant that this congregation of your church uh, would be faithful, that it would honor Christ, that it would glorify him, that it would glorify you in him, and that you would spare to us a lampstand for generations to come until the Lord Jesus returns, which we ask in his name. Amen. <clears throat>